Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. And today, I hope people unaware of South Korea and Japan's trade war hear this. Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. And on this podcast, I want to be as impartial and unbiased as I possibly can. Whenever I approach a topic, I try to do as much research as possible on both sides and think about it from many different perspectives so that I am not biased toward one way or the other. But if I am, I give a full disclosure uh, beforehand and I give a disclaimer that, hey, this is my agenda today. I'm trying to make you see this particular perspective. But today is not that case. I, I do want to be as impartial as possible today, but I'm giving a disclaimer because I don't know if it's possible um, given my upbringing and my background and who I am. I don't know if it's possible to be 100% impartial today. So I'm giving you a, a disclaimer, the full disclosure of who I am. I am a U.S. citizen. I was naturalized, but I was born in South Korea. I lived there for the first six years of my life. My parents moved to America from South Korea. So their entire family is in South Korea. In fact, my brother who grew up with me went to South Korea after he graduated law school. So if there was an episode I did with him when I was visiting him in Korea, but he's, he's in Korea. So anyone who is related to me by blood, with the exception of my mom, my dad, and my daughter, they all live in Korea. And my wife, she's of Korean descent. Her, her parents are, I don't know if they're naturalized U.S. citizens, but they were definitely born in Korea, even though my wife was born in New York. But that is all to say that I have deep roots to South Korea. By, by blood, I consider my, myself as a South Korean. So yeah, it's hard to be unbiased on this particular issue specifically as well because it's something that South Koreans in general never really fully re resolved and recovered from. And so the topic at hand today is the other trade war. So when I, when I say trade war, what do you think of? I'm willing to bet that 9 out of 10 people who heard that question probably said the trade war between China and the U.S. Well, let me take that back. If you're in the U.S., I would bet that 99 people out of 100 probably said the U.S. in Chinese trade war. But there's a different trade war happening that is not as on the forefront as the U.S. versus China trade war because admittedly, of course, U.S. and China, they're major global superpowers. So the fact that they're going at it economically like this is a huge deal. But there is a, I guess it's on a smaller scale because it doesn't affect as many products. So it's on a smaller scale. There's a trade war happening between South Korea and Japan. So just to get into the basics of what's happening, Japan has put a lot of different obstacles and restrictions on being able to supply South Korea with fluorinated polyamides and other gases. And the reason why this is a big deal is because South Korea, if you don't know, is a country of Samsung and LG, a lot of electronics companies. And fluorinated polyamides, 
is the material and, and these other gases are necessary in the production of a lot of displays, electronic displays, a lot of chips, a lot of the components needed to producing their phones, their TVs, their washing machines, whatever electronics it may be. And since electronics is such a huge export for South Korea, the fact that they can't receive these materials to produce their major exports is a, is a big deal. It's a big blow really to the South Korean economy. And it wouldn't matter if they could find these materials elsewhere, but you have to understand the infrastructure for the supply chain is all set up. And also Japan happens to be the world's leading producers and exporters of the fluorinated polyamides and, and those other gases. So it's going to be difficult to find alternative sources. So as a part of retaliation, the South Korean government, well, this isn't a governmental thing, actually. The citizens of South Korea are boycotting a lot of Japanese products and they are refusing to go to Japan for tourism. So year over year, South Koreans visiting Japan has apparently fallen 30% this past month. And small airlines in Korea that have routine routes to Japan, they've had to cancel these routes because demand for going to Japan has fallen so drastically. They're having to scrap these usual routes because they can't fill those planes. And something I've read recently is that apparently South Korea is going to be super restrictive on the coal that it can bring in from Japan. So there, there are real economic tensions here. There are people fighting for, for something, right? And from an outsider's perspective, it might not be clear what that something is. It might be, why is this happening? What, what is the real issue here? Is it really that the Japanese government thinks that South Korea is providing North Korea with illegal things? A lot of people involved, I think, have completely dismissed this claim. I think this is just kind of what Japan is claiming. And what people think the actual reason is that Japan started these restrictions is because it's unresolved lingering feelings from World War II. And I have to give you a little bit of a historical background on this too so that you can fully understand this. In 1910 through 1945, Japan had occupational rule of South Korea. And during this time, a lot of things happened. A lot of war crimes happened. People were, South Koreans were forced into labor with no pay, basically slavery. A lot of women were taken and forced into prostitution for Japanese soldiers who we call comfort women now. So, a lot of bad things happened, and in 1965, several years after the war ended, well, when the World War II, when World War II ended, Japan had to surrender its occupational rule of all foreign nations, and so basically, what happened with Korea is U.S. and Russia kind of had say, and they split it into two countries. That's a whole whole different thing. But when Japan lost occupational rule of of Korea, they had to think about diplomatic relations with Korea, right? Moving forward, because now it's a sovereign nation. 
are we just going to forget what happened? Because a lot of South Koreans had resentment toward Japan. And so one of the things that came about discussing this and trying to reestablish diplomatic relations uh, is the Treaty on Bas Basic Relations of 1965. So in 1965, Japan and Korea agreed that Japan would pay roughly $800 million in loans and grants to help reinvigorate South Korea's economy and to as part of reparations for what Japan did to Korea for basically occupying it. And so at least from the Japanese government's perspective, this kind of cleared the air of everything. It was a way of saying, we're going to get past what happened during World War II. All is forgiven. We're getting past this, at least from the Japanese government side, right? But so fast forward until now, and right before the trade wars happened, a South Korean court claimed or issued, I don't know, what, what do courts do? They, oh, they ruled that a Japanese steel company, Nippon Steel, would have to pay reparations personally to people that they used as forced laborers during World War II. And the amount was around $89,000 per person. But Japan took this ruling from the South Korean court as a, hey guys, what's going on? I thought we resolved this during the treaty. But South Korea said, well, no, no, no. The treaty was to reestablish diplomatic relations. It was a government to government agreement, but there are still a lot of harm you guys did personally to people. And you guys have never paid reparations to those people. Well, there were other things. There were, they, Japan paid per people who died, I think back in like 1970s or something like that. You can look into that if you're interested, but there, there have been payments, but South Korea is saying that the payments to those specific forced laborers was never really made. And if, if, if it was, it wasn't adequate. So that's the ruling that passed. And Japan took that as an attack and said, you know what, if you're going to make that kind of ruling and try to harm our diplomatic relationship that we've had, then we're going to do this to you. So that's just speculation. Uh, I have to call it a speculation because Japan hasn't outright said that that's the reason why they're restricting the exports of fluorinated polyamides and those etching gases. So the tension between Japan and South Korea is nothing new. It's again roots back to 19, the early 1900s. And being that it roots back so far in history, relatively speaking, a lot of comments I've seen ask the question why can't South Koreans get over it? Why can't they get past the fact that, you know, this happened? It was unfortunate, but in order to make progress, they just they got to forgive and forget. I mean, Japan paid, they, they tried making reparations. No one's still talking about Nazi Germany and no one's still looking for reparations there. So why are South Koreans playing the victim card so hard? Why do they do this? And as a person from South Korea, I do have a response to that. And the response is, it doesn't appear to us that the Japanese government really apologized and have genuine remorse for what happened during this time period. 
I'm not talking about Japan as a country. I'm, I'm specifically talking about the Japanese government. And anything I say from this point on, if, if it looks like or if it sounds like I'm criticizing Japan as a country, please know that I'm, I'm specifically talking about the Japanese government, their current administration specifically. And so the reason why we believe that no real apology has been made and that there's no real remorse, it's because one really controversial thing that happened was the prime minister of Japan, Prime Minister Abe, he insisted on visiting and paying his respects to a particular shrine of previous leaders of Japan. And these leaders so happened to be war criminals and they're war criminals because they committed war crimes during the occupation of Korea, during the whole World War II. And the fact that he's trying to honor these leaders and pay respect to them, it appears that he's condoning what they did, right? Can you imagine a German person saying, I'm going to go to Adolf Hitler's gravesite and pay respects to him because regardless of what he did, I believe he was a great leader. If, if anyone did that today, you would be seen as a neo-Nazi, a racist, and you would be viewed as someone who condones genocide. So the fact that the prime minister of a country, of a government would do this, did not send a good signal to South Koreans. And also, this I've heard anecdotally growing up, and I read a few articles that confirmed this, but I've also read other articles that claim this isn't true. But there is speculation that the Japanese government doesn't educate their people on what happened during World War II. That in history class, all you read about Japanese rule of Japanese occupation of South Korea and some of the massacres they, they committed in China are just footnotes in a single page of Japanese history. So the fact that they're trying to hide this away and bury it away does also does not send a good signal to South Koreans. If it almost feels like they're denying the existence of this particular phase in history. And so the victims of the Japanese government during this time period are feeling very marginalized, unheard, and that their struggles and the things that they went through don't matter anymore. And because of this is, I believe, the reason why South Koreans have a hard time letting go of these kind of issues. And another thing that recently happened is there's an international art festival happening in Japan, and they've decided that they would remove the statues of comfort women from their displays. And that is another blow to South Korea's collective efforts of healing, right? Of getting over what happened because, again, it looks like censorship. It looks like Japan's trying to deny that these things happened. They claim, the, to be fair, the art festival directors are claiming that they received death threats, that people would kill people if they went ahead and displayed these statues for the comfort women. But there's also speculation that it's because of the escalating trade wars. And if you don't know what comfort women are, you just they were sex slaves, basically. They were women who were abducted by the Japanese government to be 
prostitutes at brothels for their for their military. A lot of them didn't survive. A lot of them ended up dying because of the living conditions and the multiple beatings and rapings that they had to go through daily. And the ones that did survive, they were unable to bear children. They, they became infertile because of the diseases that they got or because of the sheer trauma and the degree of assaults that they had to endure. So you, knowing that, it should paint a different picture for what it means for a art festival held in Japan to remove statues that were meant to kind of get the story of comfort women told. And bear in mind that this isn't the distant past. There are still surviving comfort women out there. There are people out there who still carry the memory of what was done to them on a daily basis. So you have to imagine being a, comfort, a surviving comfort woman and hearing that Japan was removing the statues of them. I can just only imagine how heartbreaking that would be. So, yeah, that's why I think South Koreans have a hard time trying to step away from this whole thing. So moving forward, what's happened since on a global perspective, what's happened since the start of this trade war, Korea has come forward and said, this is unfair. What Japan's doing isn't right. It, so they're taking it up with the World Trade Organization, saying that, they're, that Japan is using unfair business practices and they're trying to harm, like intentionally harm diplomatic relations with South Korea. China, I'm sorry, Japan is saying that that's not true. They're, they're trying to fight against it, but it won't be for a while before the WTO, the World Trade Organization, can really figure everything out. There's talks that U.S. will step in to be mediator between South Korea and Japan to help them try to figure it out, try to come to amicable terms so that escalation can stop. Russia also stepped in and said, South Korea, look, we have some of these components that you need, some of these materials that you need. Maybe we can help you out and supply them for you too. So there, there's a lot of global movement happening. There are people from major countries here and there trying to step in, say, we need to de-escalate this. This is probably not good for anybody because moving forward, if this keeps happening, it's not going to be good for Korea obviously, because of decreased exports of their electronics. It's not going to be good for Japan because that means one of the major buyers of their supply is, is no longer buying. So it's not really good for anybody. So the hopes are that it will get resolved. But I hope you, as a listener, got a little bit of perspective into kind of the historical reasoning the historical baggage that there is behind this issue is not just a clear, we're going to restrict you from getting this because we're trying to hurt you economically. It's, it's not just the pure economical motivations here. It's, it stems back half a century, maybe even a full century. It, it stems back a long time. And yeah, as if, if you didn't know, Anything about what I talked about today, I hope it gives you a little bit of perspective, a little bit of, of story there. And if you are on the other side, if you think that South Korea is completely unreasonable, 
and you're 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 kind of taking the stance against my what my opinions are, then please let me know. And I'm not I'm not saying this because I want to argue with you, but it's because I want to be educated. I want to get the full story because admittedly, what I know is mostly just from almost exclusively just from South Korean side. I used to have a lot of Japanese friends in LA, but in Atlanta, Georgia, I, I've yet to, I've only met a handful of Japanese people. There aren't that many Japanese people here. So I don't really have Japanese friends to talk to about this sort of thing. So if you have a different perspective, if you think that some of the things I said were false or that I don't have the full story, please let me know. Please, I implore you to send me feedback. And as always, I am willing to make another episode, a follow-on episode to correct anything I said that might be false or to bring an additional perspective so that it balances things out. And you can do that by sending me an email at ihtht podcast at gmail.com that's i hope they hear this abbreviated podcast at gmail.com or comment or direct message me on instagram at it's just uh i hope they hear this no spaces i hope they hear this i have a post for most every episode that i release so you can comment there or you can just send me a message or you can send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash ihtht Again, that's, I hope to hear this abbreviated. You can send me voice messages. And in the past, I have used voice messages I've, I've received to incorporate into future episodes. So that might happen, which is cool. So yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's topic. Again, I'm sorry if it was too one-sided or too biased. It couldn't be helped because of, of my cultural background i tried to learn as much as i could of the other perspectives as well but yeah i'm sure my my biases seeped in so before i close out today's episode i want to bring back a segment that i do occasionally the local talent highlight first person i want to talk about is good friend andy shin i've mentioned him before as the one of the hosts of the black korea podcast but he released a new song recently. He is a rapper. Uh, it's Sanctification by Andy Shin. So look it up on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. He usually goes by the moniker Academics, but I think he was trying to go with a different style or, or signify that he's coming from a different place for this, for this new music. So he's going by just his name, Andy Shin. Go check it out. His music video is beautiful. His, his song is great. Overall, really great experience to, just, to go check it out. So, so do that. Uh, secondly, I need to give a shout out to my wife, who is the owner and proprietor of Softy. And they are going to be one of the vendors at Swanee Fest. So if you live in the northeastern part of Atlanta, the north, northeastern suburbs of Atlanta, please come out to Swanee Fest. It's going to be from September 21st to September 22nd. Soft Tea will be there as one of the vendors for both days. We have the best bubble tea, the freshest, most organic bubble tea. 
And if you like tapioca, you should come early because once we run out, we don't make any more because they take a really long time to make and we don't want to sell anything that's not fresh. So we only sell the amount that we produce or we make that day. So come out early, have, have some drinks, have a good time at the Swanee Festival. Come meet me because I will be there helping my wife run the, the soft tea stand. Also follow soft tea at, on Instagram at softtea.atl. And you can be up to date on all the events, all the pop-up events that, that's happening. And lastly, for all you Christians out there, if you are a Christian local to the Atlanta area, there's going to be a seminar held by the Daniel School. So just to give you a little bit of background there, remember back to my episode where I addressed the second generation Korean Americans? I had a guest on named Andy Eun. He is the director of the Daniel Prairie Garden, and he developed a school. The Daniel School is what he's calling it. It's They meet once a month. They have special guest speakers come talk about a specific topic, and they deep dive into it for, for a day. So on August 17th, at 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., there's going to be the August session of the Daniel School. And the topic is learning how to engage in spiritual warfare. It's going to be at Han Vision Church. It's at 2159 Azalea Road or I'm sorry, Azalea Drive. And there is a cost. The cost is $35. If you sign up now at thedanielschool.org, the cost covers everything. Lunch is provided as well since it's running from 10 to 3. And Pastor Jeff Lyle from Newbridge Church will be there speaking on this topic. So it's going to be a great time. I was there at the previous one where we talked about prayer and Bill Humphrey of the International House of Prayer Atlanta, the director of of that was there speaking on that. It was a great time. So come out to that and I'll be there as well so if you want to meet me. And so, yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening as always. I really enjoy engaging with you guys. So like I said before, please send me feedback. It doesn't have to be specifically about this episode or the content of the episode. If you have any feedback in terms of how I talk, how I run the podcast, the posts I put up on Instagram, whatever it may be. If you have any ideas of how I can improve myself, please let me know. Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna spell it out one more time. IHTHT podcast at gmail.com. That's I hope they hear this abbreviated podcast at gmail.com to send me feedback through email. And I hope they hear this on Instagram to engage with me there. So again, thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Bye guys.